0: This is Kismet, the adventure of the survivors of the Vengeance, a fantasy novel shared a chapter at a time. Previously, caught in a hurricane, passengers Fiona, Brody, and Seinen worked to bail out the sinking paddle-wheel steamship, the Vengeance. The sailor Temur has been swept overboard. Now, rejoin us for Kismet. Chapter 2. The Ocean's Teeth Temmer came to the surface of the wind-whipped water, blinking and turning. Closer and closer, the starboard paddle wheel threshed the water, an insatiable mouth chewing the sea. The wreckage of the foremast passed under it, and with a crack, 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 a series of paddles were sundered in two. Temur swam to the side, but the rope around his ankle jerked him short. The line, now winding around the paddle wheel, pulled Temur in. He ducked underwater and tried to work the rope free, but it was too taut. He heard the slap of the paddles and swam down the rope hauled him up swept him against the paddles lifted him on the far side of the wheel he gasped for air and pulled himself forward straining against his rising momentum as the wheel crested he scrambled one paddle forward loosening the rope around his ankle but there wasn't time to free himself as he plummeted back to the frothing surface of the ocean He wrapped his arms and legs around the paddle. As he was dunked under, the iron-gray ocean swallowed the howling of the storm. In the dark and muted world underwater, the ocean sucked at Temer, the flow like a tongue probing between him and the paddle, but he held tight. He was dragged out on the other side, gasping. He rose, his hand sliding down his leg. At the peak, he pried his ankle loose and, at last, shook the rope off, but the downstroke had already begun. He wrapped himself around the paddle and was plunged into the sea again. The mate stood on the railing above the axle, and as Temur came up, the mate called to him and held out his hand. Temur reached out, and as his fingers closed around the mate's wrist, the mate hauled him aboard. They sprawled heavily to the deck. Rising slowly, the mate gasped, Get below. Thanks, coughed Temur. The damaged paddle wheel, tangled with debris, shuddered as it turned. It skipped ahead as the broken paddles passed ineffectually through the water. The mate staggered back to the wheelhouse. Inside, the captain had been joined by two more officers. The ship's wheel had become a thing possessed, jerking as the damaged paddle wheel scrabbled at the seething ocean. The three men gripped the spokes of the wheel and pressed their naked feet flat to the smooth deck boards. "'Can you clear the wreckage from the paddle-wheel?' grunted the captain. "'Not without stopping it, sir,' said the mate. "'Then get below and continue the bucket brigade.' The mate returned below decks, to the bottom of the bucket brigade. The deck had been dry when he left. Now the water splashed around his ankles. He stopped in front of each man and offered him words of encouragement, and he made his way up the line, up the stairs. "'You work with good cheer. Good on ya he said to brody "real asunders" said brody "we're accustomed to hard work hard work without end" the mate cheered on the man dressed in black standing above sean and brody "you man you work very hard" "i don't work for myself" he replied "i work for the life of my wife and child" the mate turned and took in the salon women and children lined the walls watching silently fiona caught the mate's gaze and stepped forward let us help. We will need you in the night, said the mate. Save your strength. Buckets passed up. Buckets passed down. Muscles knotted. Cramps climbed up Seinen's spine. His hands faded. His shoulders faded. A dull haze filled his eyes. There was no thought of his card triumph, of his prospects waiting on a foreign shore. There were only buckets. Endless buckets." His eyes, swimming, came to rest on the turquoise-blue dream standing in front of him. She held a bowl of soup and a spoon. "Sanin," said Fiona, guiding the spoon to his mouth, eat. Salt, broth, and carrots flowed like liquid sunshine down his throat, and he gazed in awe at his benefactor, until Brody shoved an empty bucket into his chest. What about me? Insisted Brody. Fiona smiled at Sanin. One more, she said filling the spoon and returning it to Sanin's mouth. Then she moved down the line and fed Brody. A hot breath of steam exhaled up the stairs, accompanied by an angry hiss, as if of some gargantuan cat. On deck, the paddle wheels slowed and stopped. The mate led two men, their scalded skin red, their eyes clenched tight, up the stairs and onto the deck. He left them at the rail and entered the wheelhouse. The boilers flooded! said the mate. "'Can the boilers be refired?" asked the captain. "'No, sir,' said the mate. "'Add another lookout to the mizzen. Keep the buckets going.' The mate returned to the salon. Sheets of steam, sharp with the sulfur smell of coal ash, slunk about the salon, exploring the corners of the room. The mate put his hand on Fiona's shoulder. "'Gather the stronger women. Add them to the line.' He disappeared up the stairs. Fiona started in one corner, inviting the women to join the bucket brigade. At the first cabin door, she gave a gentle knock and then poked her head inside. A woman, huddled in the corner, looked at her with terror in her eyes. Fiona closed the door and moved on. She looked into the next cabin. Light stole in through the porthole. First light. They'd made it through the night. But something was strange. The light swirled and flickered. The window was underwater. She scanned the room and spotted the gambler lying on his bed, holding very still. She scowled. Sir, the ship requires your assistance. I don't work with my hands, he said. Fiona opened her mouth, then she shut her mouth, and the door, moving to the next cabin. When she had swept what passengers had the will or strength to help into the lines, she herself moved between Brody and Sanin. One of the parboiled men who had been taken onto deck came down the stairs. The sun is coming! There is land! We are saved! Thank heavens! said Brody. The mate charged down the stairs, disappearing below decks. He returned, bringing other sailors from below. If we're saved, said Sainan, why do the sailors look terrified? Up above, the sailors prepared to launch the ship's longboat, unlashing it from where it was tied hull up on the crossbeams of the well deck. The heavy vengeance no longer danced on the waves, but settled into them like a broody hen. The sun, rising over distant hills, pierced the air under the clouds, lighting up the masts and yardarms, impossibly bright against the angry sky. The sailors lifted the longboat as the wind amplified, roaring down the length of the ship. The longboat lifted in the gust, and sailors lost their footing as the weight came off their hands. The longboat dropped heavily onto the crossbeams as sailors fell. Secure to the davits first, shouted the mate over the gale. Sailors brought ropes over from the davits, the cranes that would be used to lower the boat into the ocean, and frantically worked to tie the boat on. The mate looked into the storm. Now! He yelled, now! An enormous wave, the slate-colored paw of the storm, smashed into the vengeance's bow and tore down the deck. It ripped the longboat from the sailors and sent it skidding aft. The heavy boat missed the mizzenmast and smashed its full weight into the front of the wheelhouse. The pegs securing the wheelhouse to the deck zippered up and the wheelhouse lifted. The longboat rowed up and caught on the eaves of the wheelhouse roof. The gale got its fingers under the wheelhouse and ripped it free. The longboat, wheelhouse, crew, and captain of the Vengeance were swept over the taffrail, where they disappeared into the foam, leaving just the sheared-off stump of the ship's wheel. The Vengeance, deep in water and unsteered, turned her broadside to the waves, and another iron-gray fist smashed the paddle wheel. Water rushed across the deck and poured down the hatches. The brigade dropped their buckets and climbed through the streaming water onto the deck. A third and final wave lifted the ship, as much as this water-logged mass of oak and iron could be lifted, and dropped it onto the reef, never to swim again. The ship lurched, spars twisting, and Brody fell to the deck, Fiona sprawling next to him. A long crackling, like the slow bite of teeth on crusty bread, shook the deck. They scrambled to their feet and backed to the rail as the rest of the passengers poured from the hold. Confused shouting came from all sides. Fiona leaned out from the rail looking forward. The pulse of the swell was gone. The ship was aground, and it groaned a full-throated protest. The prisoners, said Fiona. What? asked Brody. There are prisoners locked in the front of the ship. She ran down the slope toward the bow. Fiona! called Brody, chasing after her. We have to get off the ship! The ship groaned, and a muffled crack proclaimed a structural failure below decks. Rats streamed from the hatch. The forecastle had two barred doors, one for the women prisoners, one for the men. The crowd at the men's door shouted, and a thicket of arms waved desperately. At the women's door, a lean girl with porcelain features stood alone. Roomy linen sleeves spilled out from her tight black leather vest. She regarded Fiona with curiosity. "'We are here to rescue you,' said Fiona. "'Nah, I'm good,' said the lean girl. "'Grab that hatchet,' said Fiona to Brody, ignoring her. "'But,' said Brody, "'they're thieves!' Fiona spun and faced Brody, eyes flashing." and you would leave them to drown. Cowed, Brody handed her the hatchet. The lean girl drew her hands in. Fiona brought the hammer end of the hatchet down on the lock, and it parted. Fiona pulled the gate open and ran to the neighboring gate. With some encouragement, the arms of the prisoners slithered inside, and after two blows, the lock parted. The gate flew open, knocking Fiona aside. The male prisoners scrambled aft to join the other passengers on the highest point left on the ship. The porcelain girl helped Fiona to stand. Wee's Tess. Wanna get dibs on the floaty stuff?" She asked. Brody retrieved the hatchet. Sanin and Temur came down the deck toward them. Temur dragged a net filled with casks and boxes. The boats are gone, shouted Sainan. Grab anything that floats and put it in the net. Up there, said Brody, pointing to the deckhouse. He grabbed the net from Temer and dragged it to the deckhouse, Fiona and Tess following. Temer and Seinen went to search the forecastle, the raised area at the front of the ship. At the deckhouse, the door to the captain's cabin hung open. A ragged mess of splinters bristled where the door handle had been, and a hatchet was buried in the wooden frame. Drunken singing spilled from the cabin, followed by an empty rum cask rolling out unsteadily. Brody peeked in through the open door, Two sailors, drunk stupid, lay in a shambles. Empty casks, open chests with cloth spilling out, twisted plugs of tobacco, empty tins and boxes. Brody turned and told Tess and Fiona, Empty and cork those casks. I'm going to find something we can stand on. Stepping out, Brody cast his gaze fore and aft. His eyes fell on the forward cargo hatch cover, lacquered canvas stretched over a frame of light wood. The ship creaked and the deck listed he staggered to the hatch brody pulled the hatchet from his belt he hacked at the lashings the edges of the hatch cover hissed temmer emerged from the forecastle as brody raised the hatchet over the last cord no shouted temmer too late brody slammed the hatchet down and the hatch blew open air rushed out of the hold the deck shuddered and started sinking thunder from deep below shook the deck the ship's back was broken The back half of the ship sat high on the reef, while waves pushed the front half deeper into the water. The swell smashed against the front quarter of the ship and washed through the rail. In the deckhouse, Fiona corked empty rum casks and tossed them into the netting. Tess threw in anything that would float and several things that would not. A delirious sailor pawed at her ankle, and she gave him a quick kick to the ribs. Sane and dashed through the door. We're out of time. They grabbed the corners of the net folding it over, and pulled the great clunking mass out onto the deck. "'Give me a hand with the hatch cover!' said Brody. The others helped him, and Temer dragged the cover to sit on top of their tangle of floats. Another deep boom, and the deck sloped further. The bowsprit, the furthest forward point of the ship, disappeared in the water, and waves poured over the forecastle. They climbed on top of the hatch cover as it started to slide. The deck continued to tilt to the pop-pop-pop, of deck boards springing free. The fat gambler ran down the deck toward them. Save me! The ship gave a last groan, and wooden members at the waist of the ship opened like a flower. The bow of the ship tore loose from the reef, spilling their raft onto the water. Brody and Sanin rolled into the sea. Sanin thrashed toward the surface, but felt the pouch of coins pulling at his belt. He fumbled at the pouch, sinking. He tore it free and paddled to the surface. He scrambled back onto the cover, eyes wild. Brody flailed in the water, gasping. Tess reached for him, but he was too far and growing farther. He slipped below the surface, only his bright red bandana showing through the foam. He came up just as a yardarm plunged into the sea, smashing Brody into the depths. Brody! yelled Fiona. A dark stain swirled where Brody had been. Brody! There was no reply. The fat gambler dog-paddled toward them, sputtering in the foaming water. He got two hands on the raft, and the others shouted as the raft tipped toward an approaching wave. Sanin's foot lashed out, his heel smashing the gambler's nose. The stunned gambler slipped back into the water as the wave struck. Temur got one hand on the edge of the raft and wrapped his other arm around the others. Debris from the ship hammered against him, a cask striking the back of his head. They clung together as gray water streamed off their poor vessel, but they were still afloat. They looked toward the beach. Great rolling breakers washed diagonally down the coast, dashing wreckage onto the rocks. They could see it, the land, their salvation, but only if they could make it past the reef. It was not to be. The current bore them crosswise, and they watched with both alarm and a little relief as the headland slipped past them. Fiona. Tess, Temmer, and Sanin, just above the surface of the ocean, drifted away, and the wreck of the Vengeance grew smaller. The four were in the hands of a strong current, without sail, rudder, or oar, and the sea took them for its own. This has been Chapter Two. Next time, learn how the ambitious Sanin came to be a refugee on the Vengeance. Until next time,